Good morning. Let's all stand and sing together. Thank you so much for being that for us, for being 
awesome and wonderful and worthy of praise, Lord. And we just come here today to worship you and to lift you up and to just to focus on you during this, this hour of just worship, Lord. And we are so thankful for this day and for this opportunity to come and to praise your name together. In your name I pray. Amen.
ask the children to come forward to join us, and we invite you to turn and greet your neighbors. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here this morning. All right. I have a story that I think we can all relate to. Are you ready? Has your mom or dad ever asked you to do something or help out around the house or do some chores or anything? Yes, that happens at our house, too. I'm sure that's probably happened. And this morning, I'm going to tell you about a story about a father who had two sons named John and William. One day, Dad walked into John's room to find him building a model airplane. John, we had a lot of wind last night, and there are leaves scattered all over our yard. Would you please rake those leaves and put them into some trash bags for me? Dad asked. Oh, Dad, I don't have time to rake the leaves today. I'm busy working on this model airplane, and I really want to finish it, John answered. The father turned and left the room and went to look for William. He found William watching TV. William, there are a lot of leaves in the yard. Would you please rake those leaves and put them into some bags for me, Dad asked. Sure, I'd be glad to, William answered. Great, Dad said. I'll leave the rake and the trash bags out in the yard for you. After his father left, John began to think about what his dad had asked him to do. I guess I could rake the leaves and still have plenty of time to finish my model airplane later, John thought to himself. So he went outside and he started raking the leaves. When Dad returned home, he saw that John was raking the leaves. Where's William, he asked. I don't know. The last time I saw him, he was watching TV, John replied. When Dad went into the house, guess what he saw? William. There sat William, still watching TV. I wonder which of these two sons pleased their father. John, who said he wouldn't rake the leaves but did, or William, who said that he would rake the leaves, but didn't. Our Bible lesson today, in our Bible lesson, Jesus told a similar story to show how different people obey what God has called them to do. In Jesus' parable of the two sons, the father asked both sons to go and work in his vineyard. And just as the two boys in the story, one son answered no, but went and worked. The other son answered yes, but didn't go. In telling this story, Jesus wanted us to realize that what we do is far more important than what we say we will do. And Jesus wants us to answer yes when he tells us to love one another, but what he really wants is for us to love one another. And Jesus wants us to answer yes when he says, follow me, but what he really wants for us to do is to follow him. That's the kind of child I want to be. Isn't that the child, kind of child of God you want to be? All right, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, sometimes we say yes, but our actions say no. Help us to be faithful to do what you have called us to do. In your name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, Kendall. That's terrific. Good to see everybody. Glad that you're here today uh, for this time of worship, and we're beginning to feel fall in the air, which is always an exciting time of year, except that I realized this morning that the next time we get together will be October, and that just, I haven't even thought about Christmas yet. I guess we need to soon start that. But it is good to see you. Um, if you have a concern you would like to share with us uh, this morning that we might join you in prayer, we invite you to do this now by filling out an index card with something that you don't mind me repeating. If you raise your hand, our ushers will get you an index card. And then when you finish, if you hold it back up again, they'll come back and um, take that to bring up here to me. And we also, I see you're passing around the attendance registration pads at the same time. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Reminder to the children that uh, Sunday night program for Mission Kids, Bible Study, and Choir continues this evening from 5.30 to 7. Um, Mission Kids, remember to start bringing in your pillowcases for our fall missions project. Uh, adult Bible studies will be meeting as usual this evening, and anything I need to know about the youth? Oh, okay, Partners in Faith will be over here again today, so leave some chairs out. Okay, and I'm assuming youth meet as usual tonight. Stephen says yes. Well, very good. Um, we've had a, an interesting time of knee replacement surgery lately in the church, uh, Priscilla Watson got a new knee Wednesday, and a week earlier, uh, Dolores McCullough got her new knee. And so we'll see them uh, walking with a new briskness in the days to come, we trust, uh, as they go through rehab in the days to come. Um, other folks that have been in the hospital, I think, are, are home now. If your cards are ready, would you hold them up so that our... Folks can collect them and we'll have our time together in prayer. Just as we were about to start rehearsal this morning, Kelly got a phone call telling her that her mother had been at the emergency room all night. Uh, gallbladder probably. Um, ruled out heart attack, thank goodness. She's much too young for something like that, Kelly. She's younger than I am. That was the best sausage I think I've ever eaten. And so I ate it, and I ate it, and I ate it, and I ate it. And my doctor, who gave me some prescription yesterday for my new gout attack, appreciated it as well. It was almost worth it. It was almost that good. <laughs> we had a good, good time together. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the lesson given to us already that our actions speak even louder than our words, and we ask you to help us remember that. 
we're thankful that we belong to you and we follow the one who gave up all his rights to, to power and glory and came to this earth as the humblest one of all of us that he might show us how to live in servanthood. And we are grateful, Lord, that you exalted Jesus and gave him a name above all names. And these are our special prayers for this day. We pray for a sister with marital problems. We pray for troops in harm's way, their families and loved ones. We pray for my grampy, whose mother passed away this week. We pray for Cindy Towery as she waits for test results on her gallbladder. We pray for comfort and healing for Michael Haas and Martha Gibson, for safety for Tom Rishforth and his team in Afghanistan, and we pray for family members who are seeking jobs. Lord, these and others are our special prayers for this day. You know our hearts and you read the word on our hearts and the thoughts of our mind. And together with these expressed prayers, these are our prayers that we pray in the name of Jesus who has taught us to pray saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Stumbled over a word there. The um, scripture lesson today is from uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Here ends the lesson. Now you folks ought to bow your heads every day and say prayers of thanks to God 
that you are members of Memorial United Methodist Church. Consistently for about 130 years now, members of this church have lived in loving harmony and peace, and that's quite an accomplishment. And that is just not true of many other churches. Here at our main sanctuary, we have a center aisle like this one. In some churches, they don't have a center aisle. They have a demilitarized zone. People sit on opposite sides of the aisle in their various factions, and they lob spiritual grenades over the demilitarized zone at each other in the form of frowns and whispers. I was at a church like that one time. Several pastors had already become casualties of that war, and I was determined not to let that happen to me. One of their members actually told me one day, Preacher, every few years we run our preacher off, and so we're going to run you off too. So don't, get, don't take it personally when it happens. I thought, oh my goodness. Several people in that church asked me what I was going to do to stop the warfare. And uh, one day I just kind of halfway jokingly said, well, I don't think I'm going to try to do anything to stop the fighting because y'all seem to enjoy it so very much. I did promise them to put band-aids on the wounded until they decided for themselves to quit fighting. Other than that, I didn't start the war. I wasn't going to fire any bullets. Well, I was real happy in that church when a few months later they decided to work toward peaceful relations with one another, and it helped matters that by then they were all mad at me for not joining their side. There was something to be said for that, I guess. But judging by Paul's letter to his churches, infighting among Christians at churches isn't all that unusual. It is so very common. Paul basically had two messages in his letters. One was, we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And the other message was, can't y'all get along with each other? In his letter to the Philippians, Paul sounds almost like your mother on a real bad day. He says, if being a Christian means anything at all to you, if Jesus' love has made any difference in your lives, if it means anything to you that you belong to a fine Christian family like ours of the church, if you have any love at all dwelling in your hearts, if you give a hoot about anything, then make me happy. Live in love with each other. I think our children in our home probably heard Penny and me say that to them a time or two when they were little. It isn't easy to live in harmony and peace with one another. If it, if it had been easy in the early church, our New Testament would be about half as thick as it is right now. So Paul tells us some practical things we can do to work toward peace. He begins with our inner workings, our minds and our attitudes. Many of the problems that we have in life originate with our unchristian attitudes, especially self-centered ambition heightened by a sense of self-importance. Someone has said that the church is the last place where a little person can be a big fish in a small pond, 
we feel so powerless in society and as individuals, we feel like we just don't matter in our communities. But we can still create quite a ruckus in our churches because it's small enough. So the place to begin making a difference in our churches is by becoming aware of our motives and attitudes. I personally have experienced a bruised ego in small groups, and I know what it's like to be determined to fix your ego at all cost, even at the cost of peace in a church. But there are healthier ways to do that than by disturbing the peace. Part of Christian maturity is becoming self-aware of our motivations and attitudes so that we can put Christ and the good of the church and uh, of the church family ahead of our own personal issues. And after we become aware of our own attitudes, we can compare these with Jesus' attitudes. Jesus, of course, is the yardstick by which we measure ourselves always. And although we fall short of his measurement, we have a good goal to shoot for. What would Jesus do is a good question to ask ourselves, but is just as important to ask the question, what would Jesus think and what would Jesus say? What would Jesus' attitude be about this and his outlook? What would those things be? What we do flows out of what we think and how we feel. And so it was very important for Paul to tell us about Jesus' attitude. And he does so in a poetry form. And it really does look like an early church hymn when he says, He, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be desired, to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. At the beginning of this poem, Paul tells us that Jesus has always been and will always be God. Before the manger, while he was here on earth, and following the resurrection, Jesus was God. But Jesus didn't grasp, that is, grip tightly to that position of power or exploit it for any personal gain. He chose not to use his, self, his own power for self-preservation or self-promotion. He didn't turn stones into bread and thereby become the richest and the most loved man in the world. And although he was king of kings, he did not seek to overpower his other to become our ruler. Many of the miracles that Jesus performed were stealth miracles. Nobody knew about them except the person who received the miracle. He even refused to call upon God to send an army of angels to rescue him from the cross, and he could have done that. Each one of us has personal power that we can use either beneficially for others or in self-centered ways. 
And Paul would encourage us to use our personal power the way that Jesus used his personal power for the good of others. The message paraphrase of the Bible says, Jesus had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. It, in our, is our humility similar to that of Jesus's? Have you ever thought about the fact that when Jesus was born, he became just like every other baby that has ever been born? At that time when he was born, he was incapable of preaching a sermon or walking on water or dry ground. All that was on baby Jesus' mind was what's on every baby's mind. Where is my food and will somebody please change this diaper? It was a full-time job for the baby Jesus to figure out who these people were who were tending to him. But even with all those human limitations, Jesus was the incarnate God on earth. That's the mystery of the incarnation. The NIV translation says that Jesus made himself nothing. The NRSV says that Jesus poured himself out, emptied himself of all his rights and privileges that he had here on earth as God's son. He took on limitations that we human beings have when he became an infant and a child and a teenager and an adult. Things like peer pressure became a reality for him. Temptation and hunger and fatigue were things that he faced. And he chose to become a member of a powerless group of people, a servant people, the ancient Hebrews. Now only God could limit God, if you think about it. Only God is strong enough to limit God's power here on earth. And that is one of the things that helped me to understand how life here on earth works. For you and I to be able to have freedom of our wills to do whatever we want to with our lives, good or bad, God would have to be limited from overpowering and overruling our choices, wouldn't he? We get to choose even how we will treat one another, and God does not stop us from hurting one another. However we do eventually reap what we sow, and that should be enough warning for us if we think we're going to mistreat one another. God limits himself in our world so that we might have free will. Jesus limited himself on earth by becoming a human being, a member of a powerless race. Whenever we follow Jesus and choose the path of service and humility, we limit ourselves, but we become what God truly wants us to be. Someone has pointed out that the first part of Paul's poem is the story of Jesus' progressive humiliation. He was God, but he gave up his position and his power. He emptied himself of his divine authority. He became human. He became a servant among humans. The further humiliation was when he obeyed God's will for him and embraced dying, and not just any death either, but the most, most painful, humiliating death that there is. Crucifixion was one of the most cruel forms of execution that man ever invented. Men who were crucified were stripped bare and ridiculed. So Jesus suffered humiliation, shame, 
dehydration and pain. Even after he died, there was one final humiliation that he faced, that you and I might, might not suffer this fate ourselves. Jesus descended to the place of the dead so that we might not have to. Jesus went all the way to hell so that you and I don't have to. But after Jesus' humiliation, God began to reverse all that with his exaltation. God, God began a progressive exaltation. Step one was Easter, Jesus' resurrection. Jesus left the place of the dead and was restored to life. Then came his ascension to the highest, most honored place in the universe at the Father's side. And Jesus is crowning as King of kings and Lord of lords. Next, God bestowed upon Jesus' name the highest honors a name could ever receive. That the name of Jesus, it is, uh, his name is so honored in heaven that when it is uttered, everyone bows down and worship and praise. And Paul said this is eventually going to happen everywhere. In heaven, on earth, even in the world of the dead, we, we will all bow down and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the humbling journey of Jesus to earth was his incarnation, and that has been reversed by God in the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus. And Paul was convinced that ultimately everyone will recognize all of this. Now, whenever we choose a path of humility and service, God will lead us down a path of greater and greater humility. There will be times when we die to ourselves and our wishes. But with every death, there comes a resurrection, and we become more alive spiritually. After we humble ourselves, we can be certain that God will raise us up and exalt us. Someone might even say that we remind them of Jesus someday. Paul concludes this passage by encouraging us to continue working out our salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work within us. That's an interesting grouping of phrases, I think. I want to deal with the fear and trembling aspect first. Paul is not meaning here that you need to be scared to death, you're going to lose your salvation. What he is reminding you is that you're a human being, and that's a precarious position to be in at all times of our lives. We have inherent weaknesses that come with the reality of being human. And so as we work out our spirituality and as we deal with one another, we need to realize that we are frail human beings. In another place, Paul tells us to be careful when we're sure we're standing because we just might be about to fall. We must never lose sight of our humanity. And whenever you and I become judgmental of others, that is a sure sign that we've forgotten that we too are sinners who are saved by grace. Continue to work out your salvation is also an interesting phrase. We know that we are saved not by our works but by God's grace. But still, salvation must be worked into our very being, just like yeast must be worked into the dough, or else the biscuits won't be any good. We aren't fully grown spiritually when we're born or born again. Christian maturity takes time and effort. It can be best accomplished by making ourselves 
a part of the Christian family, the Christian community, where we can be loved and challenged to be more than we are. But we're not left to our own power as we work out our own salvation, for it is God who is at work in us, we're told, to will and to act according to his good purpose. While we are at work on ourselves, God is also at work on us, shaping our willpower and our actions so that we will follow God's good purpose for ourselves, for our lives. Always being aware of your human limitations, do your part to work on your own salvation, even as you depend upon God to be at work in you. Amen. I invite you to stand as we affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Please be seated and we will ask our ushers to help us as we worship God by giving.
stand and sing together.